according to St Luke, chapter 9, beginning at the 10th verse. Lord Jesus Christ. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. He took them with him and withdrew privately to a city called Bethsaida. When the crowds found out about it, they followed him. And he welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God and healed those who needed to be cured. The day was drawing to a close and the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so that we may go into the surrounding villages and countryside to lodge and get provisions for we are here in a deserted place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there are about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, make them sit down in groups of about 50 each. They did so and made them sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke them and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And all ate and were filled. What was left over was gathered up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Lord, may the words that come from my mouth make sense because they're inspired by your Holy Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please be seated? Well, over the next month, uh, we'll be exploring the words that emerge from the restatement of our church's vision, revealing more of God through who we are because of who God is. The words even more will challenge, inspire, and also hold us accountable as we move forward together. So it is important that we understand what it means when we say even more. Last week we began by looking at even more foolishness. And this week we're looking at even more miracles. Some might think that foolishness and miracles are a good combination. They might suggest that only fools believe in miracles. But, call me a fool, but I believe in miracles. Uh, Only yesterday my football team won in many, 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 many weeks. And that was a miracle. They did beat the Titans, which doesn't make it a very big miracle. But if you were watching uh, the other code last night, um, the Wallabies beat the All Blacks. That's a much bigger miracle. What uh, I hope to do this morning is break down uh, the gospel reading that we heard for the feeding of the 5,000 in Luke's gospel into five elements so that we can really see how God works in and through us miraculously. But before we do that, I think it's important to take some time to understand how we get to where Jesus and his disciples are, how we enter this scene. The feeding of the 5,000 
is the only miracle story that appears in all of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So this is a significant event. Food in Luke's Gospel is a particularly strong theme throughout. In many occasions, Luke shows Jesus going to meals, at meals, or coming from meals. In fact, in every single chapter of Luke's Gospel, there is some reference to food in some way or another. Food and life are unsurprisingly a strongly connected themes. I'm not sure if you've been watching the news this week, but the United Nations released a report that has gained some global attention, suggesting that the consumption of meat is damaging our planet. Apparently, uh, the average person will eat 100 kilos of meat in a year. I think I'm above average. Um, And going vegetarian, or at the very least, flexitarian, will be much better for sustaining the dwindling resources of the planet and uh, combating climate change. As someone who firmly believes that you don't make friends with salad, I was instantly sceptical. Scepticism is often the biggest obstacle that we have to overcome when we look at miracles. Often the biggest sceptics are those within the church. Part of the problem comes with our understanding of what and our expectation of how miracles can and do happen. Hopefully, this morning might give us a more relatable position on miracles and a greater awareness of their presence. The passage opens with the disciples returning and telling Jesus all they had done. You see, they had just come back from being sent out by Jesus to cast out demons and cure disease and proclaim the kingdom of God. I wonder if you could imagine how they must have felt to come back to Jesus with all their stories bubbling in their minds and their hearts, just waiting to share their experiences. I wonder if you could imagine what it's like. I'm sure we've had experiences where we've gone away and experienced something amazing and we just can't wait to tell somebody. That buzz and excitement must have been spinning around in that close circle uh, that were the disciples of Jesus. But Jesus gathers them together and withdraws privately to Bethsaida most likely on the northern shore of Lake Gennesaret, outside the jurisdiction of Herod Antipas. Bethsaida would have been a familiar place of rest and respite and story sharing. It was the home of the fishermen disciples, Philip, Andrew and Peter. I mean, after you've been away, isn't there... Nothing better than going back home or at least to a familiar place. So that's what 
leads us into this uh, miracle story. So I want to break it into its five distinct scenes to really help us identify how God is working and how I believe God still works in and through God's people today. So the first scene, scarcity. Even though comparatively we live in relative comfort and affluence, we still live with, a, live with a strong perception of scarcity in our world, particularly a Western world. We don't have enough and we need more. I've heard many who've had the experience of mission work in what we call the developing world suggest that miracles are much easier to identify when people don't have as much. One of the most common myths of scarcity that we regularly fall prey to is that we don't have enough time. I'm sure we'd have less empty seats this morning if people had more time. We could do, all of us, more for God if we had more time. I could use a holiday, but I don't have time. The reality is we all have time. We have the same, the exact same 24 hours that every person in every age since the beginning of creation has had. But often we just fill it in ways that convince us that we don't have enough time to give away. So we often hold on protectively to what we have and focus on the time that will maximise our own sense of worth and satisfaction. I'm sure the disciples were expecting some one-on-one time with Jesus to debrief about all that they experienced. Maybe they might get a few pointers from each other or from Jesus about how they could be more effective next time that they went on their next mission trip. But the reality of mission and ministry is that it continues amongst interruptions. If it was just left to the disciples, I'm sure they would have said, we don't have time to hang out with all these people who've just turned up. And we get a sense from their response that they feel like they've probably already spent far too much time with them, this large group of strangers. The miracle that takes place is set in a deserted or lonely place, a wilderness area, where food is impossible to find. Scarcity can emerge in many forms. Time, money, resources, personal attributes and personal worth. More often than not, we impose that feeling of scarcity on ourselves or allow others to convince us that we don't have enough. To convince us that we're not enough. But God is not a God of scarcity. God does not see us as we often see ourselves. 
So we move to scene two. Bringing to God whatever we have. The disciples themselves clearly don't have enough resources to meet the needs of such a large crowd. Especially since in the mission, on the mission trip, the disciples were instructed by Jesus to take no staff, no bag, no bread and no money for their journey. How could they possibly go and buy food for all these people if they'd obeyed Jesus' instruction to take no money? Although there is a sense of irony that the disciples who've just returned from depending on the hospitality of others immediately want to send the crowd away in the face of an assumed scarcity of resources. But Jesus insists, you give them something to eat. And so they take an inventory of their available supplies. It's only in John's Gospel do we hear of a small boy coming forward with his lunch. But in Luke's account, we just see the simple offering of the loaves of bread and the fish. As Jesus' followers, what do we have to offer the world around us? I wonder what it would look like if we took an inventory of all the gifts and resources that we have as a church community, even though we are smaller in number this morning. The gifts and resources we often take for granted. I'm sure it will be much more profound and impactful than, than what we might imagine. And what can we learn from this experience of working together on what might seem to be overwhelming tasks? I think we often get dissuaded by our scenes of scarcity or perceived scarcity that we actually don't bother to bring anything forward. Well, I, what I have isn't enough, so I'm not going to bother bringing anything. The feeding of the 5,000 reminds us that bringing what we have and who we are forward in faith is fundamental to God working in and through God's people, through us. It means that we have to bring what we have and who we are to God even if we think or others tell us what we have is not enough. And that's when we get to scene three. This is where it really happens. From scarcity to abundance. And this is the scene where God does what only God can do. The last time that Jesus was in the wilderness, he was tempted by the devil to be a bread-only Messiah. But Jesus is more than even the devil could expect. He is, at the very least, a pescatarian Messiah. Yeah, I thought that joke was a little bit too highbrow, sorry. <laughs> yeah, fish, Christian symbol. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> boom, boom. It didn't work at the first service either. 
Some people are getting it now. I like to think I'm funny, but my family reminds me more often than not, I'm not. The setting of this scene in the wilderness is significant and it draws our memory back to the feeding of God's people as Moses was leading them out of Egypt. And just as God's miraculous provision of manna and quail provided sustenance to God's people, Jesus feeds the crowd. Jesus does what only God can do. Jesus takes, blesses, breaks and gives the food to the disciples to share with all who are in the crowd. There's not only enough for everyone to eat, there are 12 baskets left over. And with this detail, Luke reinforces his claim that the kingdom of God is a bountiful resource that confounds scepticism and far exceeds our minimal expectations. God provides far more abundantly than we can imagine, often in ways we could not imagine. Part of our challenge is understanding and identifying miracles is that we want to direct God to be at work in the ways we want God to be at work. And often our mistake is trying to do what only God can do ourselves. The feeding of the 5,000 invites us to explore God's freedom to act in startling ways and expand human expectations. While we are expecting, anticipating and praying God to be at work in particular ways that suit our cause, we are regularly missing the many profound ways that God is continuing to work in the world and in and through us. Which leads us to the fourth scene. Distribution or mission. The disciples' work. While Jesus ultimately performs the miracle, the God stuff is done by Jesus. You can't miss noticing his command to his disciples. You yourselves give them something to eat. And so as hearers of these words this morning, we're compelled to consider the social implications of this command as if it was given to us. You yourselves give them something to eat. The social dimension of the miracle is reflecting the practice of the distribution of food to the needy in the early church, as indicated in Luke's narration in Acts of the Apostles. The disciples themselves become part of the continuing miracle. They are bearers of Jesus' mission of feeding the needy and the hungry, called to extend the promise of God and God's justice in the world. The miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is to be read not as a past event that Jesus did, but rather a present expectation 
for the followers of Christ who are called to undertake this distribution and mission in today's world. How can we, both individually and a church, continue to distribute the miracle? And our final scene, abundance left over. The leftover food in the baskets is an indication of the earth's abundance, enough to satisfy all of God's creation. If only God's children can practice sharing that abundance. And abundance is not just limited to food. God's grace is the most abundant of all of God's gifts. As Jesus gives the broken bread and the fish to the disciples to give to the people, Luke says that all ate and were filled. And the emphasis is not necessarily on the miraculous multiplication, but that there was enough for everybody to be satisfied. And there was more left over. And just a few moments earlier in Luke's Gospel, we read in chapter 6 the beatitude that Jesus preached from the mounts. Blessed are you who are hungry, for you are now filled. I can't help but wonder if there's something to the fact that what is left over is broken which loops us back to the very beginning. How we see ourselves. Often our reticence is that we are not enough. But there is abundance revealed through the brokenness of ourselves, our world and our humanity. This is where God and God's light shines most brightly and brilliantly through and in between the brokenness and vulnerability of God's people who allow themselves and their resources and their gifts to be humbly offered, who allow themselves, their resources and their gifts to be miraculously transformed, who put themselves in hard places and challenging times to share those transformed selves resources and gifts with only one possible outcome, miraculous abundance. None of this works without mutuality and mutual giving. God has already given of himself completely and calls us in response to give humbly and vulnerably God will do what God does. God will work miracles in and through us. We will see even more leftover. We will see even more abundance. And we will see even more miracles. Lord, we thank you that you see us in ways that are more profound than we see ourselves. 
where what we see is not enough, you see as the beginnings of a miracle. The essential ingredients for you to transform the world involves us coming to you and just bringing ourselves as we are and allowing ourselves to be met by the grace of God and transformed into an abundant offering. Lord, around us in our church, we have enough, not just to meet our needs, but enough to share an abundance with our community and our world, our families, our workmates, the wider world. Help us to be challenged by what we hear and read this morning. Help us to come vulnerably and meet us. Transform us. Help us to be your miracle. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand with us as we continue to worship our God of miracles.